o'clock. I'm reading from John 11, and therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's that big governing body. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, he spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a small village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they could arrest him. Thank you, Dan and Thelma, and keep praying for uh, Barb Sutherland, piano player, uh, that uh, the Lord would heal her. It is uh, just uh, four weeks till Easter, April 1st. It's not very far away. And uh, so uh, we, have to, we have to think about Easter this morning. And from now till then, uh, think about the cross of Jesus and Jesus dying in our place. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about the resurrection of Lazarus. We read the passage and we got down to uh, Jesus going and speaking to Martha, meeting her just outside the city. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And uh, Jesus said, do you believe this? And Martha said, I believe the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said, do you believe this? And she said, yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. And that's the whole point of the Gospel of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing this, you may have life in his name. Martha went back and got Mary, and Mary came out to meet Jesus. And Mary said the same thing to Jesus that Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as Jesus was there with her, and uh, the mourners were there, and the flute players, Jesus was troubled and bothered, and he wept. And I thought that was surprising that he wept because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead in just a few minutes. 
and yet he still cries and uh, weeps. And uh, I think that's uh, just a picture of God's feeling for us as uh, we go through difficulties in this world and as we go through hard times. Uh, He sees our pain and our sorrow, and uh, he feels that too. Even though he knows what he's going to do, and he knows the great things that he will do for us, yet he sees when we're hurting, just like Jesus did, he weeps. And they go to the tomb, and uh, Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha says, he's already been in there four days. He stinks but they take away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes walking out. And he is banded. he's got wrappings around his torso and around his arms and around his legs. And his face is covered. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And uh, what a What a miracle. Uh, I think Jesus left him there deliberately for four days so that there was no question. He's gone. And yet up he comes from the grave. And the people are stunned. Praise God. And believe in Jesus Christ. But some go and tell the Pharisees. Do you know what Jesus did? He raised somebody from the dead. And now he's got more followers. And that brings us to today's story and uh, today's passage of Scripture, um, the plot to kill Jesus. Uh, You notice in verse uh, 46, some of them went to the Pharisees, told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The chief priests and the Pharisees usually did not get along. The Pharisees are religious leaders among the people, and the chief priests are the leaders. They have political power. They have religious power. They're in control of the temple, and uh, they are the ones that Rome has appointed to be the leaders of the Jewish people. And usually they hate each other, and they don't get along. However, I think Their thinking is, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. (laughs) So usually these guys are my enemies, but today they're my friends because we got a bigger enemy, and that's Jesus. Point number one, the prognosis of the problem is political. That's what they think. The problem's political. Notice verse 47. What are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. The problem's political. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is the, the issue is not about truth. It doesn't really matter what the truth is. They know the truth. He's doing signs, he's doing miracles. Maybe even raising somebody from the dead. That's the truth. There's no investigation as to whether somebody from the dead really came to life. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's true. The issue is not even primarily religious. The issue is political. We have to come up with something 
that will allow us to survive as a nation, and uh, that's what's important. Um, I wrote down in my notes, I said, truth has very little to do with politics sometimes. And it's so frustrating to hear the truth doled out in little pieces. But Jesus is a threat. And he's a threat to the Jewish nation, and he's a threat to the Jewish religion. And that's what they think. The Romans will see that someone is extremely popular, following him, they'll get scared, and they'll destroy us. And not only will they destroy the nation, they'll destroy the temple. So we have to do something to save the nation and save the temple. Right? We're doing a good thing here by killing Jesus. Point number two, uh, the real problem is spiritual rebellion. The real problem is spiritual rebellion. By the way, that's the real problem in our nation today. That's the real problem. We've got all kinds of problems in the world that we're trying to solve. The real problem is spiritual rebellion against God. We don't like him. We hate him. We don't want to do what he says. That's the real problem. Um, notice they don't need more evidence about Jesus. They have all the evidence they need. They reject the evidence. They could have eternal life if they would just believe in him, but they will not do it. Instead, what we have to do is stop Jesus from doing what he's doing. And we must stop people from believing in Jesus. This is, this is, this is how dangerous it gets. We need a political solution Let's stop Jesus, and let's stop people from believing. And, of course, that's taking place in the world today. Actively trying to keep people from believing in Jesus. And it's a, it's a political solution. It's just happened in China, February of this year. China has brought down new rules to crack down on religion and uh, trying to control what uh, churches are doing and uh, trying to take church property, removing crosses, uh, actively monitoring internet activity, all the things they can do to curtail uh, religion, uh, curtailing the gathering together of Christians. They don't want foreigners mixing with Chinese people. So if you were to go to China, you could go to a church However, you simply could not go to a same church as a Chinese person went to. You can't do that. They don't want that happening. And for them, the issue is political. We want our power, but really the issue is spiritual. You're actually trying to stop people from believing in Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ. I picked on the Chinese. Many nations around the world are doing that. The worst two right now in the world are North Korea and Afghanistan. And that's, uh, that, that just happened uh, in the last couple of months. Afghanistan is now uh, the worst place in the world, along with North Korea, for Christians. And it's funny because aren't we over there fighting to free the Afghans? And yet if you were a Christian going to Afghanistan, it's the dangerous, most dangerous place in the world. They want to get rid of you. One of the saddest stories uh, I have read in the last few years was a story about a, a missionary to Somalia, and uh, he was going into Somalia to, to uh, help with some foreign aid. And uh, when he went to Somalia, he actually met with four Somalis who were Christians, 
and they had a worship service together. And uh, they said to him, we believe that we, are the, we are the only Christians in Somalia, four of us, out of millions of people. And he said a month later, all of them were dead, all killed, because they followed Jesus Christ. Um, Joanne and I are planning on going to uh, Uganda uh, in November. And I looked up the government website to see uh, what about traveling to Uganda. Government says it's not recommended. And uh, first of all, you can't go to the western part of Uganda because it's beside the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, where life is the cheapest in the world. And you can't go to the northern part of Uganda because that is where South Sudan is. And that's dangerous for Christians. And then I thought, well, maybe we'll just go across the eastern border into Kenya. And then they said, well, if you go to Kenya, you can't go to the northern part of Kenya because that's by Eritrea and Ethiopia and Christians are killed there. And you can't go within 150 kilometers of the south part of Kenya because you're by Somalia and uh, you will be killed there. And so I thought, what, am I, what are we getting ourselves into? And then you have bandits and all the other problems. Many cultures around the world actively trying to prevent belief in Jesus Christ. And here are the Jews doing the exact same thing. Let's kill them because people are believing in them. We have to stop that. Well, point number three. There's a prophetic proposal, verse 49. One of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And Caiaphas was priest from 18 to 36 A.D. His father-in-law, Annas, was the previous high priest. He's still alive. Normally, high priest is for life. The Romans changed that. They appointed the high priest. For some reason, they didn't like Annas. He wasn't doing what, he, what they wanted. So they put Caiaphas in his place, his son-in-law. But Caiaphas usually did what Annas wanted. By the way, Caiaphas has five brothers-in-law and his five sons. They, are, they will also all be high priests following Caiaphas. This will be the high priest who condemns Jesus to death. And this will be the high priest who takes Peter and John and beats them. Notice, it's better for you that one man die for the people. He's made his decision. Jesus has to die, and it's good. It's good for us if Jesus would die. And it's better for you, the committee, if Jesus would die. And it's better for the Jewish people if Jesus will die. Because if Jesus lives, the Romans will wipe out the Jewish people and will wipe out the temple. To save, to save Judaism, we must kill Jesus. Point number four. The prophetic proposal is ironically true. My pages are numbered and I'm still messed up. Verse, verse 50. 
you do not realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. That is ironically true. He thinks if we kill Jesus, it will save our nation and it will save our religion. The Romans won't wipe us out. Now John writes after Jerusalem is wiped out. Everyone who reads this knows they're gone. That temple gets destroyed. The nation gets wiped out. And yet Jesus dying has actually saved them. The irony. He means to kill them so that we could get rid of them. Kill them so that people will stop believing in him and will be saved. And John sees the irony. The problem, though, is not that the Romans will wipe out the Jewish people. The problem is that the Jewish people are incredibly sinful and need a substitute to stand in their place. They need a sacrificial lamb to be in their place and bear their sin. And God uses the sin of humanity and the sin of this religious council of the Jews to accomplish his purposes. John then gives us a little insight. Verse 51. Editorial comment. This is very important. Now John explains it. Here's what the high priest did. Here's what the Sanhedrin did. This is what it means, and here's why it's important. He did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So here's my point. Jesus did and would die for the Jewish nation. He died for the Jewish nation. There is still a place for ethnic Jews. God still has a plan for Israel. Currently, they're not where they need to be. Jews need to believe in Jesus too. That's not where they're at. Romans chapter 11, wonderful chapter explaining God's plan for the Jews. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says he's praying for his people, the Jews. He wants them to come to Christ. But he says they're hardened. And he says that's part of God's plan. The Jews are hardened and instead, the Gentiles are embracing Christ. That's us. And God is using the Gentiles embracing Christ to make the Jews envious. So that they will look at the Gentiles and they go, wow, look at that. God's on their side. God's doing wonderful things for them through Jesus Christ. I want that. And so Paul says... That's why I go to the Gentiles. I'm trying to win Jews. <laughs> I'm trying to win Gentiles so that perhaps my people will look and see what God is doing for the Gentiles and say, we want that. And so he says, now a hardening is part, in part has come upon Israel. And their hardening has been great blessing for the world. And if that has brought great blessing to the world, how much more will their salvation bring to the world? 
and one day you will see all of Israel turn back to Christ. That's the end of time. If you see that, that's bad. Or, actually, it's good. (laughs) This is the summation of history. So Jesus died for the Jewish nation. A number of years ago, Anne Rice, um, vampire novelist, 30 years she was an atheist writing about vampires. She came to Christ in 2005. And she said, here's why I did. There was a mystery that I couldn't explain. A mystery so immense that I gave up trying to find an explanation because the whole mystery defied belief. The mystery was the survival of the Jews. It was this mystery that drew me back to God. But there's more than just Jesus dying for the Jewish nation. Notice verse 52. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So John says not only does Jesus die for the nation of Israel, he dies for the scattered children of God. That's you and I. He died for the scattered children of God to make them one. To bring the two together and make them one. Billy Graham used to say, you are not just saved from something. You are saved for something. And we are saved to be brought together, one family, one nation, one people. That's why Jesus Christ has died, so that he could make the two one. A few uh, couple months ago, I was uh, driving down, down near downtown, and while I was down there, I thought, uh, I'll drop off and see Jim, Jim and Marlene's new house. <laughs> and I pulled into Jim and Marlene's new house, and they weren't home. So uh, there were just some workmen there. So I still haven't seen the place, Jim. So I decided to drive home, and driving down Christina Street in front of the library... And uh, as as I turned on the corner to go on Christina Street, the guy in front of me stopped. And the truck stopped in front of the library. And uh, a homeless individual had jumped in front of the truck and had jumped into the truck. And he was laying on on Christina Street right in front of the library. So I got out of my car and I'm phoning 911. And uh, somebody's trying to talk to him, and he's talking. And uh, it takes a while for uh, the police to get there and the ambulance. The police get there first, and uh, they're, they're talking to him and trying to, to get every, everything organized, shut the street down. And uh, then all of a sudden, one of the police officers starts pumping on his chest. And so I know this is, this is trouble. And uh, he starts really pumping on his chest. Uh, finally, the ambulance shows up, but it's too late. He's dead. And uh, funny, right? Five minutes before, he's alive. Now he's dead. He's laying on the street. 
unfortunately, I phoned 911, so now I'm a witness, and I have to stay for hours. <laughs> uh, someone's died, so a detective has to come, and they have to talk to everybody who was anywhere close to what happened so they get an understanding. It's so, so strange. It's kind of kind of surreal to see someone has just died right in front of your eyes, and it's gone like that. And uh, life is very fragile. And uh, sometimes uh, it seems like we can live a long time, and it's hard to kill us. And then at other times, you're you're dead in an instant, and your life is over. And John chapter eleven is about what is truly life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in him, you will never die. And here's Lazarus raised from the dead. And people want to go and see him. This is spectacular. A dead man has come back to life. And the response of people, some believe this is wonderful. Jesus truly is God. And others go, you know something, we don't think it's that wonderful. We think it's dangerous, and he's a problem. So let's kill him. Uh, He just raised somebody from the dead. What good is trying to kill him going to do? Only if he wants to die can it happen. And then he does. They say it's better for him to die than for all of us. And that is God's message to you today. John says he was a prophet. He prophesied. It is better for one to die than for all of us to die. And Jesus has died in your place so that you don't have to die. Put your faith and your trust in him and in his death. And you will never die.